Our reading today is going to come from Psalm 121, which is a song of ascents uh, and my personal favorite passage. So it's a privilege to be able to share it with you today. So Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. This is the word of our Lord. It's wonderful to live in Wollongong, a place where we can look to the escarpment and there's that sense of majesty, isn't there? Just a reminder that God is a great God. I wonder, is there a time where you kind of look to the hills and you think God's amazing? What's going on for you as you're kind of processing those feelings? Uh, I actually went out for uh, a jog this week. Um, I went running and uh, I was running down Fowler's Road and I was coming up to uh, Coonawarra Bay uh, and I was going to kind of turn left and sort of run out towards the power plant. You know what I'm talking about? And there was a bunch of motorbikes in the park there just in front of Muddy Bay. Dapto has a real problem with illegal dirt bikes. I've kind of noticed that since I've moved here. Now, I also happened to watch Blake's funeral service on Friday. Motorbikes can be fun and when used legally and on um, private property or dedicated tracks, fantastic. Have a ball. I used to enjoy riding motorbikes when I was young. But people who tear up sporting grounds or the bush, um, it just kind of frustrates me. And I'm out jogging and I see three hoons on their motorbikes And then I see a police car coming and I'm kind of running along going, hey, police, look, chase those people, right? And I'm kind of waving. And sure enough, the police drive up the road a little and then they turn around and they come back and they sort of park on the corner of the intersection and the motorbikes just kind of like, they park about 50 or 100 metres away in the middle of the field and it's kind of like they're almost taunting the police, what, what are you going to, you're going to chase us, seriously? And then the motorbikes kind of just turn around and, and putter off on, on a track down the road. And I kind of think, ah, oh, well, that was a waste of time. And then I keep jogging. And I'm jogging towards the track that goes along the forefront. And I'm thinking to myself, hang on a sec. What happens if the motorbikes are somewhere down the track? What happens if they saw me waving and trying to signal to the police to chase them? I might find myself in trouble here. I might find myself down some pathway which is kind of um, uh, removed from other people and from sight. And I I could be vulnerable. Who's going to help me? Who's going to rescue me in my moment of need? Have you ever felt like that? where you felt vulnerable or exposed or, and perhaps it wasn't a place, perhaps it was your car. You were driving somewhere and your car broke down and you needed to get to something or perhaps it was different. Perhaps it's a relationship or uh, a time at work where you've been asked to do something and you're feeling out of your depth. 
You know those moments where you kind of want to cry out to God and, and you feel like you're helpless and hopeless and you don't have the resources within yourself to solve your problems? Psalm 121 is one of those go-to psalms for people in that situation. And here's kind of how we feel, right? I can look up to the mountains and God's up there and God's powerful and he's the creator God who's made everything and he's my great source of help and isn't that awesome and it's, God's just going to come through and it's going to be all fantastic, right? There's a, there's a sense in which we can read this psalm like that. And it, that's not unfair. That's part of what's going on in this psalm. As Druin said, it's a psalm of ascent, it's a psalm of climbing up. Now, what are they climbing up? Well, it's the pilgrims, the Israelites, who three times a year, if they can afford it, have to go to Jerusalem for a religious festival. And what they will do is they will walk. Um, and then the last part, they're coming up to Mount Moriah, which later on becomes called uh, Mount Zion. And up there is Solomon's temple. And it's a magnificent building. It would have been the most impressive building that these Jews and probably anyone in the world was able to see at that particular point in history. And that also would just evoke feelings of awe and majesty. And isn't God amazing? And, and we're going to encounter God and go to his temple and worship him and, and experience forgiveness. And so it can be a mountaintop experience, this sort of psalm. And I want to say that's part of what's going on, but there's more than that going on in this psalm. So, like I said, three times a year, uh, Jews have to go down to Jerusalem. And if you're poorer, maybe you can only afford to go once. And Jews would be coming from the north. So let's imagine someone lives in Nazareth. It's a five, six, seven day walking trip to get to Jerusalem. Uh, and we're in about the year 1000 BC when this psalm would be written, uh, or maybe a little bit later. Uh, and so we imagine Solomon's temple has been built. Um, uh, and someone's coming from the north and you start out and there's kind of open, wide farmland up the north. And you're on trails that would look something like this. You can still go to Israel and walk those trails. And then you would walk along the side of the Jordan River. And you know what? Lots of people walk there. They're almost walking highways. And here's a place, it's called Beit Shean, and it's um, on the Jordan. Uh, and this is uh, around the time of Jesus. Actually, so many people walk there, they build a Roman road. It's just like a highway, and you can stop, and you can stay there, and you can buy food. And, right? So this is kind of pretty casual walking, and there's going to be lots of people walking with you. But as you make your way along, eventually you hit Jericho, and then you need to turn towards Jerusalem. And you need to go up into the hill country. And that's where things change. Far from it being open and visible, what you now get is that you're walking in a ravine. And you're following a, a riverbed. And there are hills that are all around you. And these hills are 
dangerous. In fact, um, it's the setting for the parable that Jesus tells where a man goes from Jerusalem to Jericho and that man is the Good Samaritan. And he discovers somebody who's been beaten up. You see, here are people who have saved. They're bringing money to, bring, to buy offerings. And there are thieves who would live uh, on the path, particularly from Jericho as you're ascending up to Jerusalem. And they might be hiding out in those caves you can see. In fact, what's down there in that picture is a monastery um, that's been built there by the Middle Ages Christians to kind of celebrate the parable of the Good Samaritan and, and monks would have lived there. But you can see that's a dangerous, vulnerable place to be. Like That's how I would have felt, kind of jogging along the track and, and no one can see you and robbers can kind of come around at, uh, as you turn a corner and, and where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Who's going to help you? See, that's part of what's going on in this parable and in this psalm. And that's why we're reading the psalmist saying that God won't let your foot slip. People are afraid. This is potentially a dangerous place. He who watches over you doesn't slumber. He watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. He's your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. This is not just the psalm who's excited because they're walking up some gentle pathway and they're safe and they're celebrating because they're going up to worship. No, this is somebody who is afraid that they might be harmed and they're asking God to watch over their life. That's how exposed and how vulnerable they're feeling. Now, as you think about that, there's something in that, isn't there? Here's a, a, a Jew, 800 years before Jesus, uh, probably poor, a subsistence farmer, who for them, perhaps like us at the moment, every day is Groundhog Day. They just go out into the farms and work the field and then come back. And you do that six days a week and then on the seventh you have your Sabbath. And so what's the big thing they look forward to? What's the thing they have to save up for and plan for? It's the annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem and what happens when you go to the temple well you're there with everyone it's a big feast it's a celebration but more than that you achieve forgiveness you, you make an offering and you're right with God and you're able to transition from being unclean to clean and you can be holy as God is holy and that's what an Old Testament Jew believes is their calling in life this is the great moment of their year, just kind of like you might plan for that big holiday. And on the way, they've sacrificed. They're with God's people. They're singing these songs. There's about 14 of them, these Psalms of Ascent. And they're making their way up. And at that moment when they've given up and sacrificed and they're ready to go and meet with God, they face danger. You weren't expecting that one, were you? It comes around the corner and you're surprised and you've got nowhere to run. And maybe that's a word for us at the moment. 
Maybe you found yourself in moments where you've recommitted and you've made sacrifices and you've signed up for ministry or you've recommitted um, to tithing and to giving or you've just given to um, a mission or and you're kind of thinking, wow, I'm feeling close to God. I've started my Bible reading routines again. I've joined a Bible study. I've got this great Christian book. Uh, I'm refocusing and... and um, making efforts to walk with God, and then danger comes. And, and it preys on you and it attacks you and, and you feel like you've got nowhere to run and to hide. That's part of what's going on in this psalm. And there could be even more too. Here's another mount, uh, and it's just behind Jericho, and it's called the Mount of temptation, um, possibly because that's the mount on which uh, Satan tempted Jesus. And uh, the middle-aged Christians have, of course, built another monastery up there, and you can go and celebrate Jesus fasting in the desert by visiting a cafe. Get the irony of that. Um, but anyway, uh, also, as the Jews were marching towards Jerusalem, here's part of what happened. There were pagan cults who were practicing their rituals in their shrines also up on top of the hills because people believe hills are holy places. And if you worship the pagan gods, often there were um, uh, temple prostitutes and you could go and worship the gods by partaking of the temple prostitution and you could use the tithes and offerings that you'd saved up to buy your temple sacrifices and buy a worshipping of Baal. And as you're walking towards Jerusalem, you're hearing the alluring voices and songs and wails of that sort of worship and it's tempting you to take a shortcut. You don't need to go all the way to Jerusalem. You can just stop off here and you will find pleasure and happiness and all the other things that your God is promising you just right here. And that also happens. So expect to hear alluring voices even as you're taking steps towards worshipping God, even as you're amongst God's people singing praises to God, walking to his temple, we will hear alluring voices. They are the very moments where Satan can tempt us. And I wonder whether you might have been sideswiped recently by an unexpected temptation as you feel like you're climbing a mountain. Well, what do you do? Who are you listening to? Because you can listen to your fears and you can listen to your senses, which are telling you, wow, that'd be kind of exciting and erotic and uh, fulfilling and pleasurable. Why would you choose to listen to God when you're hearing these voices and you're searching for some sort of sense of meaning 
and protection in this particular season. Well, let's work through the psalm. God, the God who will not let your foot slip, he watches over you and he will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, when we read that, we think, oh, that kind of sounds a bit like poetry. That's just a nice way of sort of reiterating the fact that God is always watching. Well, remember, this is a psalm written eight hundred years or so, a thousand years before Jesus. And spirituality is different back then. And most people kind of worship idols. And there is this sense in the worshipping of idols um, or of many gods, um, in fact, any god pretty much other than the Christian god, that you've got to arouse the god. You've got to get the god's attention. And you do that by bringing a bribe and you say, hey, God, here's some smells. I'm burning something. Does that kind of get your attention? And here's a, a gift and a sacrifice that I'm making to you. You've kind of got to wake the gods up so that they might respond to whatever your needs are. In some ways, actually, that's still the Islamic view of God. God is distant and he's not somebody you ask individual prayer points to he's just watching from a distance Allah and he expects submission and obedience not so the Christian God that's the point of this psalm that the Christian God doesn't need to be woken up he's not somebody who's disinterested or distracted he's somebody who watches over you so that not even a hair will fall from your head without him knowing it that's how much he cares about you. That's why you would look to him at a season like this. Secondly, we read this. that Sorry, uh, this is what's being played out on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, where Elijah is taunting the prophets of Baal and he's saying, your gods, Baals, right? Um, Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling or maybe he's sleeping or must be awakened. You know that feeling when you cry out to a higher being and, and you get no response and, and there's this natural thought, well, maybe they're not listening. That's exactly what the prophets of Baal are thinking. In fact, I used to read this in my children's Bible to my children and in Hebrew, uh, the, the intimation there is that um, Elijah is saying, maybe actually your God's gone to the toilet and he's relieving himself and you kind of need to call him back, right? The Christian God loves and cares and is vitally interested in you and he doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep and he doesn't need to be woken up to come and to listen because he's always got his attention on you. Isn't that beautiful? You don't need to cry out to him to get his attention. He already knows and he already cares. Secondly, we read this. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Well, how does that help us understand what it means to cry out to God? Well, God is at your right hand. Now again, this is a biblical phrase that has meaning. 
Remember, James and John ask, or their mother asks, can we sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom? This is a position of power. Why? Because you're in proximity to the king. And the king can see and the king can kind of hold out his staff and uh, you can access the power and the resources of the king in your hour of need. That's what's going on in this psalm. And the psalmist here has us at God's right hand so that when we need help, we can take our strongest hand and we can reach out to him and we can grab onto him. That's what you need when you're feeling exposed and vulnerable or tempted. I happened to watch a rerun uh, last week of, um, of the movie. What's it called again? The Blind Side, thank you. And um, it's got Sandra Bullock in it. And of course, she rescues this boy, Michael. He goes missing. Uh, and she goes back over to the dangerous side of town, to the projects. Uh, and um, Sandra Bullock's character here. Uh, is exposed and vulnerable and she meets a kind of a gang leader and he's carrying a weapon and he kind of um, is uh, suggestive towards her and starts calling her name Snowflake and, uh, and what's her response? She says, I had lunch with the district attorney's wife. I've got friends in high and powerful places. You don't want to mess with me. Not because of how powerful I am, but because of the people who I know. And that's what this psalm is saying. God is watching over you. God is at your right hand. God is so powerful that even the sun won't be able to, to touch you, to damage you. Thirdly, the Lord will keep you from all harm he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So, not only is God always watching, he's never asleep. Not only is he at your right hand and he's powerful, but third, he's protecting you always. Not just when you feel like you're vulnerable or at risk. Not just when you feel like you haven't got the resources or the strength yourself to be able to fend for yourself. doesn't matter whether you're awake or asleep or whether you're coming or going. God is always watching over you. And so that is a great source of comfort. That's why would you, you would turn to him. Well, that brings us to a kind of a pretty obvious question, doesn't it? And that is this. Really? Well, where were you this week, God? How come we had record after record after record? How come extension of lockdown just happened and we are stuck for another five or six weeks and, and here am I tearing my hair out with my children at home and I'm not coping and I'm going around the twist and, uh, or I'm feeling flatter. You know? and, and these are the moments where it's kind of like, how does this psalm help us? Because it just seems so... Such a platitude. It's, it's the thing you say because it's what you're supposed to say, but really, how does it help? And here's that Romans 8 verse I alluded to, uh, which I also hear a lot of people quote in circumstances like this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. If God is so powerful, 
if he doesn't let our foot slip, if he's watching over us, if he's vitally interested in us, if he's strong enough to hold back the sun and the moon, why isn't he doing something at the moment? Why didn't he stop um, Blake's cancer? Or um, why didn't he stop that, that incident at work or that car accident or that disease or whatever it is that's going on in your life that has caused you to want to cry out to God and yet you sensed you got no answer? Let me make a few comments about suffering and hope. Firstly, neither Psalm 121 nor Romans 8 for that matter is a promise that life is a long walk in the park. That, that's not what's going on. It, it's a treacherous uphill walk. It's a psalm of ascent. It's, it's a struggle to walk up this hill. And it's through a desert and you're kind of exposed and it is a challenge and you do feel like your foot will slip. That's part of what makes the psalm work. And Romans 8 is no different. In Romans 7, Paul's been talking about the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I can't do. He's struggling with temptation. And then in Romans 8, he's struggling with weakness and he doesn't know how to pray and all of creation is groaning. And after this, he's, he's, you know, he's afraid of facing death. Right? These two Bible passages are written in the context of life is a struggle. So, they are not a simplistic promise that God is watching over you and it's a promise of prevention that you won't encounter difficult seasons or opposition or temptation or enemies who will prey upon you. No, what they are a promise of is of protection. God will protect you but maybe I still haven't answered your questions. Well, we still haven't been particularly protected. Maybe we're doing better off here in Australia than elsewhere, but still, life is tough, and it is. What sort of protection are these Psalms and Romans 8 promising? And it's a promise that you will make it to Mount Zion, that you will get to the temple, to that holy city, to the place where you do commune with God and where your sins are completely forgiven and you are made right with him and things are perfect and there's no more weeping and gnashing. And that promise is absolutely certain. You can bank on that. That doesn't mean you won't encounter some challenges getting there. God will restrain some of the evil and the temptations that you face whilst you're on that journey. But ultimately, the protection is that you will make it to Zion, whether we're thinking in an Old Testament sense of Jerusalem or in the New Testament sense of the holy city. So what about suffering? Well, suffering produces hope as well as destabilizing it. So we get verses like Romans 5, where suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And yet we also know 
that under suffering, you feel like giving up. You feel like throwing the towel in. So what I'm suggesting is that suffering is a catalyst. Do you remember that word from your high school science experiments? Suffering is something that speeds up the reaction so that things happen more quickly. And I want to suggest to you that as many of us are enduring suffering at the moment, the question you and I want to ask ourselves is, what response is this suffering speeding up? Is it the pathway of suffering producing perseverance and character and hope? Am I looking to God as the God who knows and who cares and who I can trust in? And yes, I need to endure some things, but ultimately I will make it. Or am I allowing suffering to distract me, to cause me to be overwhelmed and fixated on my fears or to give in to those temptations and to try and take a shortcut and uh, give pleasure to my senses, believing that somehow that might be a substitute for God. One of those two will be happening, and it will be happening with greater intensity and with greater pace under suffering than what normally transpires. Which one is it for you? So lastly, let me suggest to you, commit yourself and your circumstances to God. Look to God on his holy hill. Look to Jesus on the hill that he died for on for you. And and isn't that a demonstration of his love for you but also the fact that there is something about the inevitability of suffering but hope coming on the other side of suffering. So this week, friends, perhaps as you go out for a walk, maybe it's along the waterfront. Maybe it's just seeing the escarpment. As you look to the hills, I hope that you don't have a simplistic, shallow expectation that God will rescue you from all your suffering but rather you have this profound confidence that God can use suffering to grow you and he will protect you so that you will make it into that place of hope and joy that he has in store for you. That is the path that you're on and the path that you're walking does lead to union with God. We're going to play a hymn now. And it's a hymn written by a man who experiences also profound suffering. The death of his wife and some of his children at sea. And yet it doesn't cause him to give up. It causes him to reaffirm his commitment that with God all things are well.